0: My name is Peter Kroll. I am one of the the elders of our church. If this is your first time with us, we are really grateful to have you. Thanks for joining us. Most of the disciplines and the practices of the Christian life do not come naturally. People don't naturally know how to read and study the Bible. We must teach them. We must learn our songs over time through repetition. Jesus' own disciples had to ask Jesus how to pray. So in Luke 11, he gave them a model to follow and told them, when you pray, pray like this. So it must be likewise with the practice of lament. This is something we must learn how to do. And Lamentations chapter 5 can help. If you have one of the church Bibles, we're on page 646 this week as we conclude our sermon series in the book of Lamentations. For five weeks already, we've been considering the content of biblical lament. We've spoken of the destruction of Jerusalem in 587 B.C., And the great sins of the people of God that brought on that situation. And so in chapter 1 of this book, we shared Israel's grief. In chapter 2, we learned to cling tightly to the Lord amid excruciating loss. In chapter 3, we saw the need to fight for hope when things are a mess. And in chapter 4, we considered the gracious way that suffering exposes our deepest needs. Now it's time to put all of this into practice by learning the process or the shape of lament. The Word of God in Lamentations chapter 5 will teach us how to grieve like those with hope. Because this chapter captures the prayer of the people who are suffering at God's hand. It is not the prayer of the victor after overcoming all odds. It is the prayer of a community that has been wrecked and reduced to a shell of what it once was. It is the prayer of a people who have not yet lost all hope. But they do find hope slippery and distant. And the Lord wants you to listen to their prayer. He wants you to heed their prayer. I dare say he wants you and me to pray like this. When you or your spouse suffers a chronic debilitating disease. Or your beloved pet dies. Or your funding falls through. Or your love life isn't where you thought it would be by now. Or your child turns aside from the faith you taught them. Or your dreams are dashed for the future. Or your security in the present is shattered. Whether your suffering lasts a day or a decade whether you still feel close to God or far from him. Lament is not just something that can be done by Christians. It is something that can be done by us, by you and by me, here and now. So when you pray, pray like this. When you lament, lament like this. You can see in your outline, four components. Explain your pain, find your praise, express your protest, and file your petition. By way of disclosure, these four labels are not my own. They were developed by a friend of mine, a man named Clint Watkins, who's working on a book about biblical lament. But I co-opted them because he's observed them right in the scripture here. Let me pray for us as we get ready to dig into the passage. Our father, please help us not just to talk about lament, but to learn how to do it and how to do it, not like those without hope, but like those with hope. Pray these things in Jesus name. Amen. The first part of lament is simply to explain your painful situation, asking God to look and see. Lamentations 5, I'll read the first 18 verses. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless. Our mothers are like widows, We must pay for the water we drink, the wood we get must be bought, our pursuers are at our necks, we are weary, we are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us, there is none to deliver us from their hand." We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion. Young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned for this our heart has become sick. For these things, our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. Now that covers most of the poem. Only four verses remain for the other three elements of lament. This in itself ought to tell us something. That most of biblical lament is simply wrestling with God by explaining to him our pain. And they outlined their pain in three dimensions. First is the vertical pain of verse 1. It begins right there vertically when the people ask God to remember. This word remember is a loaded word for them. It does not mean that God is in danger of losing his memory of them. It is a word closely connected with the covenant, which is the binding contractual agreement God himself made with these people to be their God and they would be his people. In the book of Exodus, the children of Israel were bound in slavery in Egypt, suffering under a tyrannical Pharaoh who tried murdering their sons to control their population. And right at the end of Exodus chapter 2, we are told that God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And then in the very next chapter, he calls and trains up a rescuer to go and deliver them on his behalf. So this request in verse 1 of Lamentations 5, to remember and see them is not because they fear that God may have come down with amnesia No, they know very well that He is the Maker of heaven and earth who sees and knows all things. What they are asking Him to do is to remember His covenant with them, to remember what has befallen them, which is evidence of the fact that they have violated His covenant, but the covenant itself remains. They want Him to not forsake their special relationship. They want him to do for them once again what he did all those centuries ago when he brought them out of their affliction in Egypt to become his people. Here is their pain in a nutshell. Is the covenant at an end? Are we done for? Is God going to be our God and we his people or not? This is their vertical pain. Oh, God, Lord, remember what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Now, after this request, they present their, a litany of their afflictions. And so their pain now moves to the second dimension in verse 2, the horizontal pain. They shine a spotlight on what their lives have become. This is what they are experiencing. They want God to take notice and deliver. Verse 2, Their inheritance, which was the land promised to them by God, it has been turned over to strangers and foreigners. In verse 3, All their men have been killed in battle, so the women are now widows and the children are now orphans. In verse Four, basic necessities like water and wood are no longer accessible but now come at a price. In verse 5, they don't even get a break from having to flee from attackers. And as you heard and saw while I read, it goes on and on and on and on. And their horizontal pain goes all the way up to verse 14 where they're simply explaining their horizontal circumstances. Lord, please take notice of what has become of our lives. That's their horizontal pain. And then third, in verse 15 through 17, they transition. They go internal. And they start to describe their mental health. Their heart joy of verse 15 has become heart sickness in verse 17. All because of what's in the middle, verse 16, they have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And this has caused tremendous internal pain as their hearts have become sick. And so they wrap up in verse 18 with more vertical pain. They go back where they started. At the end of their litany, they climax it with this greatest pain because they know their problems are not merely horizontal with other humans and their problems are not merely internal within their own hearts and minds. Their greatest problem is vertical. It's the problem they have with God himself. In verse 18, they say that Mount Zion now lies desolate and is home only to jackals. Mount Zion was one of the mountains on which the city of Jerusalem had been built. And it was so prominent that Mount Zion became shorthand in the Psalms and the poems of these people. It became shorthand as a representation of the entire nation, all of the people in it, and God's purpose is to bless all the nations of the world through them. That's what Mount Zion represents. But now where they stand, the promises of God appear to have been broken, and the temple of God has been obliterated. And we, we need to grasp why this was so tragic for them. You see, in verse 16, they are ready to confess their sin and make it right with God. But in verse 18, God has taken away from them any venue they might have for making it right. They have no temple in which they can meet with God anymore. They have no priest who lives to intercede for them. They have no sacrifices that they can offer as a substitute. What are they to do when God has removed every possible means of making their way to Him? Their pain is such that all they have left is God. Himself. And so they beg him to remember his covenant and be their God forever. Friends, how does this apply for us? The first part of lament, and often the majority of lament, is to just be honest with God about our pain and to ask God to take notice of it. Walking through it in as much detail as necessary is often the very thing we need in order to remember that we have nothing left to us but God himself. You see, God wants to know your pain. He wants to hear of it. He doesn't want you to stuff it or to paint happy faces on top of it. He wants you to explain it to him so he can actually help you with it. Picture a father who wants his child to process a very difficult experience. The father doesn't just want to tell his child how to feel... The father wants the child to share openly about their thoughts and feelings so they can work it through together. So friends, brothers, and sisters, explain your horizontal pain. What are your circumstances like? Explain your internal pain. What is going on in your heart as you experience this? And explain your vertical pain. How has all of this affected your experience of the presence and the love of God? God wants you to enumerate your litany of grievances. So you can see him for who he really is. Which is where they go in the second point. Which is they find their praise. We ought to find our praise. Verse 19. But you, O Lord reign forever, your throne endures to all generations. That's, That's the extent of their praise in this chapter. For those who are suffering deep affliction, praise is often hard to come by. That's why in some of the psalms of lament, in the book of Psalms, the sufferer can't even praise God yet, but only vows to praise him eventually. So one purpose of lament is to give words to the worshiper who doesn't know how to worship. The sufferer who can't bring herself or himself to sing the songs of Zion, The man or woman of sorrows who can barely get out of bed and can hardly find anything praiseworthy just yet. You see, there is much wrestling with God that must take place in lament. And so here in in Lamentations 5, that wrestling ends up squeaking out the most basic of praises for who God is. Here in verse 19, He is the one who reigns forever forever. His throne endures to all generations. This is one of the most foundational beliefs you can have about God. It's simply that God is the one who is in charge of all that has happened. You reign forever. You see, if he wasn't in charge of all that has happened, why would you bother bringing him your laments and prayers. If he had no responsibility here for what's happened to you and he couldn't do anything to improve your situation, you wouldn't bother appealing to him in the first place. So the fact that you pray to him is itself a confession that he is in charge, that his throne endures forever. So if you can't think of anything else to praise him for just yet, at least you can declare him to be the one who reigns over all. He is in charge, and I am not. This is why, by way of application, we must be clear that biblical lament is not the same thing as rage against the machine. It is not. The purpose of lament is not to put yourself on the throne of heaven, and then to place God under your judgment. That will not end well. No, the purpose of lament is to remind yourself of who is the only one who can do anything about your situation. Because then you're free to beg him and plead with him to do what he has said he will do. And this is where we have something that the Jews of the book of Lamentations didn't. They could look back on God's deliverance from Egypt, but they knew from those covenant curses in Deuteronomy that this could be the end of the road for them. They were left wondering whether the covenant was over and done with. Today, we don't look back on our deliverance from egypt we look back on the lord jesus christ and his unbreakable promises to deliver every single person whom the father has placed into his hands if you don't follow jesus as your lord and savior you do not yet have access to that promise you are somewhere outside of his hand And then it's up to you to figure out where to go from there. And that might not end well. But that promise is available to you if you will only trust Jesus. When you come to the Lord Jesus, who is in charge, your lament cuts through all the typical red tape and it delivers your protest directly into his hands. Let let me move on to the third part of lament here in verse 20. This is to express your protest. Verse 20, why do you forget us forever? Why do you forsake us for so many days? Here's the heart of their protest. And the laments of the Bible, and there are many of them, at least one third of the book of Psalms are made up of laments. they're all over the place. The laments of the Bible are filled with unanswered questions like this in verse 20. And we need to know that it is okay and it is not a lapse of faith to have unanswered questions for the Lord or about the Lord. The Lord does not quickly jump in to fill the gaps in their theology. He does not immediately clarify their destiny that they ought to thank him for. Hey, here's where I'm taking you in the end. And he does not correct them or rebuke them for asking him honest questions. In this case... The the first question is, why do you forget us forever? Lord, it's as though we're still slaves in Egypt. Has it all been talk in the centuries between then and now? Are we in special relationship with you or not? And their second question is, why do you forsake us for so many days? Do you remember Joshua, the guy who took over from Moses as the leader? Lord, you assured him that you would never leave him nor forsake him. Is that not true of all your people? Why do you forsake us? How does this apply? Brothers and sisters, Leave room in your lament for heartfelt protest. If something doesn't seem right, ask God about it. If your situation doesn't make sense to you in light of what he has spoken, you're in good company and there is nothing sinful about appealing to God about it. You don't have to stuff it up and play act as though everything's just fine. It is quite normal for the people of God to wonder why God has done what he has done. It is not a demonstration of faith to stoically suck it up and just presume it will all work out in the end. Because it might not now it is a demonstration of faith when you refuse to let go of jesus christ during those times those troubling times when you can say i have no idea what you are doing lord but i know you are in control and you are good so why do you forsake us how long will it be until you act on your promises? And if this still feels irreverent to you or faithless, let me present it to you with a bit of a thought experiment. Imagine that your suffering continued unabated all the way to the day of your death. And in fact, you didn't die quietly but evil men came and murdered you for your pathetic faith in jesus christ and they say look see he never delivered you and then your body goes into the ground yet your redeemed soul goes to be with god in the glory of his presence before his very throne room and you no longer have any sin or selfishness dragging you down you left it behind in your death What would be your godly and faith-filled request at the throne of God when you arrive in heaven? Do you think it might sound something like this? When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You see, this protest is not an Old Testament thing. The the sinless souls of suffering saints are still lamenting in protest to God in Revelation chapter 6. That's what I just read from. They are asking him when he is finally going to follow through on his promises. So it cannot be a sin to pray or protest to God like this with these kinds of questions. And in fact, if you fail to pray like this when you are under affliction, you are denying yourself one of your most powerful weapons in the battle for faithful perseverance. Because if you can't bring your honest questions to God, where else could you bring them? If you don't bring them to Him, they will eat away at you, and then you run even greater risk of losing heart and being deceived by unbelief. Please. Leave room in your prayers for heartfelt protest. And the most common biblical protests are simply the questions. Why and how long? And so finally, the the, the final aspect of biblical lament is to file your petition. This is where we get around to asking God what we would love for him to do verses 21 and 22 restore us to yourself O lord that we may be restored renew our days of old unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us and so this book of poems ends and this chapter ends with the uh, this request to restore us to yourself in verse 21. You see they are not ashamed to ask God to change their circumstances. There's no shame in asking him to do that. They are not saying fabulous Now we get to know God better through our suffering. We've been waiting our entire lives for this. No, they ask God to renew their days as of old. God, please make things the way they used to be. And they keep the main thing the main thing. You see, it's about wanting things to be the way they used to be. It's not primarily about getting their houses back and their bread and their leaders and their futures. It's primarily about, verse 21, restoring us to yourself, O Lord. They know their greatest need is for more of him. And if they can get that vertical pain rectified, the rest will fall into place. But the prayer, we have to grapple with the fact that this prayer ends with this dark turn in verse 22. It is so dark that even until today, when the Jewish people read the book of Lamentations publicly, which they do once, at least once a year on an annual day of fasting, they get to the end of this book and then they go back and repeat verse 21 again as the final end in order to end with a glimmer of hope they don't end with verse 22 but that's how the book ends and there is no doubt about that what is verse 22 saying at first glance it might sound like they are saying restore us to yourself O god renew our days as of old but we know you probably won't because maybe you've utterly rejected us and remain exceedingly angry with us. It might sound like they're saying that, but honestly, I don't think that fits with the flow of the chapter or with the entire book. I think that the unless here of verse 22, it's not the unless of insecurity or utter hopelessness. It's actually the unless of Maybe, just maybe, the worst is past us. In other words, it's like this. Restore us to yourself, O Lord. Renew our days as of old, even though you've utterly rejected us and remain exceedingly angry with us. I think that's the flow of thought. But here's the point. Here's the point. I do not think the last verse of the book is subverting or undermining everything that's been said so far in this book by concluding with absolute and utter hopelessness. I think the book ends with this dark verse to highlight the simple fact that they are still in their suffering. They have not yet seen the light at the end of the tunnel. This is not the prayer of the victors. This is the prayer of the bloody and the wounded, those who are cowering on all fours who continue being kicked while they're down. And so they can't end their prayer with the ray of hope, but with the reminder of ongoing present darkness. So my final application for you is this. You do not have to have your situation or your theology or your faith all figured out before you can lament like this. You do not have to clean yourself up first. Life is messy. Our hearts are messy. Our prayers will sometimes be messy. Go ahead and ask God to give you more of himself, even if you can't yet see a way that that could even be possible. You can do this because you have a Savior who gave up everything to bring you close to God, and he will not rest until that is done. Jesus offered his own loud cries and tears to the only one who was able to save him from death. Jesus had his moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when he asked God to change his circumstances and to remove the cup of wrath from his lips. But he submitted to the will of his sovereign father and he went and took up his cross for the sins of the world so that you and I could be with him and could know the Lord forever. You see, friends, Jesus knows what it's like to petition God earnestly and not get a pleasant answer. Jesus knows what it is like to lament. So as you bring your laments to God, you have the honor of entering into the suffering of Jesus. And when you enter his suffering, you can know for sure that God is not yet done with you any more than he was done with Jesus when he died. Lament is not just something that can be done by Christians. It is something that can be done by us, by you and by me, here and now. We do it by explaining our pain, by finding our praise, by expressing our protest, and filing our petitions. May the Lord remember us, look and see our disgrace. May he restore us to himself and renew our days as of old. Please pray with me. Our Father in heaven, Lord, life is a mess and so many of our lives are a mess and our culture is a mess, oh Lord, please remember, look and see. Lord, look and see your church that is divided politically, racially, ethically. Lord, help us amid all the, the social ills we face and the racial injustice and the suffering and the pandemic. And Lord, our own sins, please remember us, restore us to yourself. Help us to grieve like those with hope. We pray these things in the name of our only Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.